The title of the sermon is Success Without Compromise. Success Without Compromise. One of the greatest mistakes in a believer's life is compromise. It will destroy his testimony. It will destroy his joy and his peace. And I believe this morning that there are severe consequences that stem from compromising one's convictions. It will not be long before this country, the United States of America, will be in debt up to what? $20 trillion. And much of that is because of compromise of compromise. And a lot of things are happening in America today because there is so much compromise. There is a very troubling trend toward not only compromise in that area, but in moral compromise, even in the evangelical church. Shane Eidelman said it this way, I've witnessed soft porn images on Christian websites questionable movie clips during PowerPoint sermons and youth pastors talk about their favorite sexually charged TV show or movie with the youth, all under the guise of relating to the culture. There is no question today that we're living in a culture of compromise. And it is not just, as I said, outside of the church, and we certainly know it's in the nominal church, but it is certainly in the evangelical church today. Let me read with, if you will, from Daniel chapter 1. First of all, I want to look at someone <clears throat> who did not compromise, certainly had the opportunity to. I will look at someone who did compromise and will notice the consequences of both of these examples. Daniel 1, beginning with verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishaiah, Azariah, and that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as you and I know them today. Please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this manner and tested them 10 days, verse 15. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fattier in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. I am so impressed with this man. Daniel. Uh, so many of the characters of the Bible just really studying behind them and their actions and their deeds are so impressive and inspirational to you and I as we read. But few inspire me like this man, Daniel. And most of us are, are studied the Bible, have had studied the Bible and understand and know how that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with all the Israelites, they had been brought into captivity uh, in Babylon, and there is where they were. And 
the king told the leaders to pick out men, young men, that their appearance was fair and that they were wise. And so these uh, four, along with others, were selected. Let's notice, first of all, if you will, the introduction we have on your paper. In the early part of the century, an American ship was wrecked off the Sicily Isles near the coast of England. The sea had been calm and the weather clear, but the vessel was caught in a treacherous current that slowly lured it off its course. Before the captain and the crew realized what had happened, the ship had crashed into the rocks. In life, too, powerful currents of compromise can catch the soul and carry to shipwreck. Spiritual drifting is usually a slow and imperceptible process. We know it has occurred when we have lost the strong resistance to evil and the passionate desire for truth that we once knew. I want to read that one again. How do we know we're off course? How do we know that we're beginning to compromise? This writer says, we know it has occurred when we have lost the strong resistance to evil and the passionate desire for truth that we once knew. Do we still have that same desire to hear the word of God preached? Do we, have, do we still have that drive and that desire to read the Bible? We know we're drifting if we do not. One man said, show me a person who has fallen away from their walk with the Lord and I will show you a person who started making compromises in his or her life long ago. Let's notice a biblical example of compromise. And probably all of us have heard of the name of Lot, the nephew of the great man Abraham. We'll read, if you will, Genesis chapter 13, beginning with verse 5. This is a very, I would not take time to read this lengthy scripture if it, if it did not speak directly to where we are today in our culture. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the lamb was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Verse 7. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot, and Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, Lot saw the plain of Jordan, and it was like the garden of the Lord. It was so plush, it was so rich, it was, it was so inviting. like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zorah. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Notice the progression. He looked, he saw, he desired, he pitched his tent, he moved in, he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Two men, one that compromised and the other that did not. We are living in a culture of compromise today. But what I want to do, and listen at me careful, 
I want us to be able to conquer compromise. Is that okay? That you and I, a church, that we will conquer compromise. Notice, as if you will, what we just read, and we give you an example, one, two, three, four. First of all, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. Oh, the slippery slope of compromise. We always think it's going to be someone else. We never think it's going to be us. We're not giving, we're not give up. But I believe today, if there ever was a time for the church to stand strong, it is today. Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. Then in verse 12, we find that Lot moved in to Sodom. And then thirdly, Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. This was a place of preeminence. This was a place of influence, sitting at the gate. You made decisions for the entire city. This was a place where told how successful this man, Lot's ne- uh, Abraham's nephew, had been. He was a successful man in the city of Sodom. Lot sat at the gate. Notice Lot's failure. He made wrong decisions. There is a penalty and there is a price to pay for the decisions that you and I make. Let me say that again. There are consequences, either good or bad, for the decisions that we make. Someone says today's decisions determine tomorrow's direction. He goes on to say the inner conviction can overcome external pressure to compromise. If you're convicted and convinced through and by the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God that that inner conviction can overcome no matter the external pressure and compromise, whether you're in school, whether you're in high school or college, when someone else is doing thus and so and you know it's wrong and the Bible says it's wrong and it's contrary to what you've been raised, the inner power and spirit of God and that strength on the inside can give you victory and keep you from compromising no matter what he or she or others might do. Thirdly, God-honoring convictions yield God-given rewards. I'll address that a little bit later. So here we have him making the wrong decision. He compromised his standard. So many people find themselves at one time on fire for God, but today... They're spiritually asleep. Let me say it again. They're spiritually asleep, beginning to compromise. Someone said the devil is never too busy to rock the cradle of a sleeping saint. They're busy, maybe, with other things. Compromise his standard. The devil desensitizes us until we are numb to the things of God. Things that once bothered us, things that we once would not allow in our homes, words that we would no doubt never speak, thoughts that we would never entertain. We've allowed today to be just normal. It doesn't move us. The profanity on television where at one time would convict no longer convicts. It's so easy. It's so easy like the ship to begin to drift and we don't know anything about it. There's that current on the underside that's pulling us to those rocks and those, those spiritual rocks are out there and devastation and we find ourselves, why are we where we are today? It's simply because we begin to compromise just a little bit, just a little bit. 
just a little bit. The redwood tree that was so strong and stood so tall, it collapsed and fell and they wondered why. Because it stood in earthquakes, it stood in the storm. It stood with all the strong winds that fought against it and it never was moved, but finally it fell. And they wondered what caused the big redwood to fall and they examined it and on the inside there was the, 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 the worms and the insects that had eaten out on the inside. That's where the compromise begins is on the inside. And things that once would not topple us, move us. Today we give in to those things. He compromised his standard. He failed his family. Compromise, decisions are never isolated. Never isolated. The decisions we make, well, I'm, it doesn't hurt anyone else or I'm not hurting anybody else. The decisions we make, listen at me, young people. We can get caught up with the lifestyles of this world and we can think, well, all I'm doing is hurting myself. It always has an effect on others. Whether it's a mother or a father, a grandmother or grandfather. He compromised and it, it affected his family. He failed his family. And all of our decisions that we make, whenever we compromise, always falls on the shoulders of other people. And they suffer maybe. They're affected, yes, by the decisions that we make. We looked at Lot's failure. Let's look at Lot's consequences. He was forced to flee Sodom. All of us know the story, how the angels were sent to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were told, Lot was told, that there was going to be fire and brimstone. Judgment was certainly coming upon Sodom. He was stripped. He sat at the gate at one time. He was influential. He had money. He had livestock. He had all of these stuff. And yet he was stripped. Compromising will strip us not only of physical things. It will strip us of our morals. It will strip us of our character. It will strip us from the holiness and the purity of our lives. He lost his family in the immortality of the city. When the angels came to Lot and they warned him that judgment was coming, he went to his son-in-laws. He had daughters. He went to his son-in-laws and he told them, listen, judgment is coming. We've got to get out of this city. And they looked at him like he was a joke. I wonder how the world looks at us today. Does it look at us because of our lifestyle, because of the way we've lived? Does the world look at me like I'm a joke and they laugh behind my back because of my compromising and because of my lifestyle? His son-in-laws made fun of him. They didn't take him serious. We need the world to take us serious. We need the world to stand up and note. The Bible says that you and I are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let me say it again. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But if the salt has lost its favor, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet. And many of us, if we're not careful, we take the light that's supposed to shine in a darkened society in a darkened culture and we hide that light under a bushel. We won't speak out in public. It's important that you and I take a stand for God. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not even talking about making a fool of ourselves. But I am talking about at the appropriate time 
and when the door opens and when the opportunity presents itself. And we should pray for that opportunity. Paul, writing in one of his epistles, says, listen, pray for me that a door will open. Wouldn't it be great if we got together and when we got together said, brother so-and-so, would you pray for me that a door will open this week that I could tell somebody about Jesus Christ? But if we've languished in sin, if we succumb to all of the stuff that's around us and we laugh with the dirty jokes and we join in with all the stuff that the world has and, and, and we enjoy it and, and uh, they will laugh at us when we tell them judgment is coming. They will laugh at us, at us when we tell them the word of God. Uh, Lot lost so much. He lost his family, his two daughters, wound up being pregnant by their own father. Not only did he lose his daughters, he lost his wife. All of us have heard of Lot's wife turning into a pillow of salt. Why? Why did she turn into a pillow of salt? Because those angels said to Lot and to his family, we want you to get out, get out now, And when you get out, don't look back. Don't look back. And when you left Egypt, when you and I left sin, when we washed our hands of evil and immorality, don't look back. Cast your eyes upon Jesus and look forward. Focus on the things of heaven, on the things of God, and stop looking back and wishing you were like so-and-so or like things at one time were. He lost his wife. That was Lot. Let me talk about Daniel. Bear with me. I enjoy it. I love talking about Daniel. I just love this this great man of God that he and uh, the Israelites were captured and taken into Babylon. And as I told you that they were made leaders there and part of the leadership. But part of Daniel and his friends' training included a special diet that involved food and drink offered. Listen to this. Why did not Daniel want to take the food and drink? Because those, that same food and drink was offered to the idols of Babylon. He couldn't do it. There was no way that Daniel and his three friends were going to partake of that ungodly ritual. Was he going to do it? They were true to God. They were many, many miles away from Israel. They were many, many miles away from friends and others. They could have done it. Nobody would have known anything about it. They could have said, we'll keep this to ourselves. We'll hide it. And we may think today that we can sin. No matter what it is, we can go to our computers and nobody will know anything about it. We can say this with our friends and our so-called friends and we can go here and do this and keep it a secret. Be sure your sins will. Yep. They will. And they didn't say that. They didn't say, okay, we are not around our friends Church folks are miles away. We're taking vacation. Let's go do so and so. Or we're away from people that care anything about it. Don't even know us. Let's go ahead and do this. But Daniel says, no. We're not going to compromise. Notice the P's that we have here. First of all, Daniel was a man of purpose. He purposed. I love this. He purposed in his heart. Decision, compromise, or refuse to go with the flow. Determined in his heart, put God first. There were opportunities. There were temptations. Every day of your life, there will be opportunities for you to compromise. Every day of your life, there will be temptations for you to sin. Daniel said, no, I'm not going to do it. He determined in his heart. He was going to be different. 
You know, when they arrived there in Babylon, you know what the king did? He changed their name. And I would have had time to go through those names because it's very interesting. Very interesting. But you know what? The king changed Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's name, but it didn't change their character. It didn't change their determination. No matter what the devil tried to do, no matter what the king and the eunuch and others tried to do, they said no. Those three boys were determined to serve God. It didn't matter. And when the king raised up an idol and said everybody had to bow down to it, they said, we will not compromise. You're talking, listen, listen. You're talking about teenagers. Daniel was 17 years old. He hadn't sown his wild oats and he hadn't gone out there and he said, I'm not going to start it. I'm not amused at people that says we can't live for God no matter. You can't live for God here. You can't live for God at this age. You can't live for God here. Wait till you get older and you can't get out and do things and then, then get saved and live for God. I believe you can live for God no matter where you are, no matter your age. That said, we are not going to compromise. Most of us know the story, the three Hebrew young men that would not compromise and the king threw them into the fiery furnace. I've sung this song for years. I won't sing it today, but I've known of this song for many years. I did not know who wrote it. But it goes like this. Now the prophet Daniel tells about three men who walk with God. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, before the wicked king they trod. And the king commanded them bound and thrown into the fiery furnace that day. But the fire was so hot that the men were slain that forced them on their way. And then the course goes like this. They wouldn't bend. They held on to the will of God, so we are told. They wouldn't bow. They wouldn't bow their knees to the idol made of gold. They wouldn't burn. They were protected by the fourth man in the fire. They wouldn't bend. They wouldn't bow. And they wouldn't burn. Give us some men and women today that won't bend, that won't bow, and they won't burn. He was determined in his heart. He was different. He was devoted. He let Daniel, he let nothing sidetrack him. He kept his eyes on Jesus Christ. Daniel not only was a man of purpose, he was a man of principle. As I said, his name was changed, but his principles didn't change. No matter where you are, if you live in Durham, if you live overseas, no matter where you are, if you're in school, if you work in a place where everybody curses and everybody does everything else, doesn't matter where you are, you don't have to compromise. You don't have to give in or run up the white flag of surrender. He was a man of principle. Our society needs people of principle. Can you imagine what would happen to this nation if Washington had principle? I mean, that's an oxymoron. It is a false assumption to believe that to get ahead in the world, one must conform to the sinful practice of the world. Those young senators and congressmen, I've been told, I don't know. They go to Washington and they go with maybe good ideas and good morals, but it's not long before they're compromising and they're just like everybody else. And we think the Democrats are so holy and pure or we think the Republicans are so holy and pure. The independents, they're not going to compromise. They all compromise. You put them all in the sack, we don't know which one would fall out first. 
God, give us some people. Give us a society. Give us churches. Give us believers. Give us spirit-filled believers. Give us some Baptists. Give us some Pentecostals. Give us some Presbyterians. Give us some people that would say, I'm not, time out, I'm not going there. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do that. Daniel was a man of wisdom. He's the one that laid out the plan to the eunuch. Listen, let us eat the vegetables. Let the other guys, let them compromise. Let them eat the meat that's offered to idols. Let us eat what we choose to eat. And then after a few days, look at us and see who's the best looking. And he did. And after 10 days, these guys stood up with everybody else. And they, it says they were fatter. I didn't know if that word's... New King James Version translation. They looked better. They, 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 they were men of, uh, young men that their complexion was better. Daniel was a man of wisdom. Not only was Daniel a man of purpose and that Daniel was a man of principle, he was a man of purity. That's a word you don't hear much anymore. That's a word that young people never think about. I want to keep, and I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not certainly classifying all young people in the same boat because we've got young men and women that keeps themselves pure. I believe that with all my heart. We should strive as men and women of God to keep our thoughts pure, to keep our words pure, to keep our actions pure, to keep our motives pure. Daniel was a man of purity. First Timothy chapter four, verse twelve. Let no one despise your youth. He's talking, Paul is talking to Timothy, but be an example to the believers in word. Be an example of the people in conduct. Be an example in love, in spirit, in faith, period. <laughs> I lost you, didn't I? <laughs> That's not a period. There's a comma there. An impurity. God wants the church to be different than the world. I'm not talking about being odd. I'm talking about being different when it comes to righteousness and purity. Daniel did not allow the environment to influence him. I love Paul's writing to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm reading from the Amplified. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies dedicating all of yourself set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that's just in church. I think it's every day of our lives. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. Amen with that one. But be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. I know this is lengthy, but it's good. So that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and in his purpose for you. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. What a challenge from the Apostle Paul to those that congregation in Rome. It is for us today. Daniel was a man of purity. He not only was a man of purpose, a man of principle, a man of purity, but Daniel was a man of prayer. And all of us remember or know about Daniel's praying. That's what got him in the, in the, in the den of lions. Because he was determined to pray. 
He, he, he knelt before the Lord. He was a humble man. Not only was he a humble man, but he was a man of habit. He prayed three times a day. Daniel was a man of prayer. And I'm ending this by looking at number three. Look at it with me. The results of this. Now keep in mind that Daniel was 80. He was 17 when he began. And king after king after king came along. along, And they kept Daniel in that elevated position. Daniel lived to see the exiles go back home. To see those Jewish people that was in captivity to go back home. Daniel was given spiritual insight. You see, as I said earlier, God's called us to be the, to, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, to be the influence that our society needs. God wants us to be that influence. I remember when I was young, we killed hogs. And we didn't have refrigeration like we have it today. We had pack houses. We'd take those hogs after we killed them and we would rub that meat down in salt. That salt kept it from decaying. That's what the salt that God's talking about for us today. If we want a world, a society, a nation that will not decay with all of its sin and all of its immorality, then give us a church that will be the salt. And we took that salt and we rubbed it in and we rubbed it in and we rubbed it in. And you and I today, we need to be rubbed into our society. We don't need to be aloof from our society. We need to be attached. We need to get involved. We need to be right in the very midst of what's going on and keeping ourselves pure and keeping our society pure. Daniel was given spiritual insight and all of us know the great prophecies that came forth and even the future holds for some of those prophecies to come forth. Daniel was a great influence in God, for God, in the foreign land for 65 years. Somebody says, I'm tired. I've served God long enough. Uh-uh. Doesn't matter how long you've served the Lord. You said, I've tried and tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed. Keep on trying. Don't stop. Don't give up. Allow the Holy Spirit to do something in your life. I love the book of Romans. As most of you know, I've taught the book of Romans and I've talked about the book of Romans over the years that I've been pastoring. And the book of Romans, it's such a, it's, it's one of the greatest books, not just in the Bible. The book of Romans is one of the greatest books that has ever been written. And the apostle Paul starts out with that great first chapter of the sins and ungodliness of mankind. And he goes on and he speaks over to the seventh chapter of of the natural and carnal man, how he struggles. And some of you may be struggling in your walk with God. There may be habits that you're trying to break. There may be things that you're trying to separate yourself from. And Paul addresses that. He even says to the point, when I want to do good, evil is always present. You ever been there? You want to do good and, and, and the friends say, come on. You want to do good and the devil plants those thoughts in your head and you're struggling and you're saying, God, I don't want to say these things. I don't want to think these things. I would to God I did not have this kind of motive in my life and we struggle. And then God, uh, Paul goes over to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Hear the ungodliness of man. Hear the struggle of the carnal man. And then chapter 8, 19 times he speaks of the Holy Spirit of God. 
You see what the church needs today, it needs not only to receive the spirit of God in our lives when we are born again, but we need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. You said, Brother Nunn, I thought when you got saved, you received the Spirit. You do. Do you receive more? Mm Mm-mm. When you get saved, you have just as much Spirit as you'll ever have. But there's a difference. You have a well on the inside. When you get filled or baptized with the Holy Ghost, he flows out. And that flowing out is what gives you the power. And you might say, things you've never said before. You might speak in a heavenly language that you haven't spoken before. And when the devil tries to come at you and tempt you and and, and tries to get you to compromise, you begin to get on your knees and pray. Paul said, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but he knows what for us to pray for. And you begin to pray. And you pray until there was an old saying years ago, When I was a teenager and even younger at nine years old, let's pray until we pray through. (laughs) Now, I know we don't hear that much today, but the church needs to pray until it prays through. You say, what's praying through? That means you've touched heaven and heaven touches you. That means you begin to speak in a heavenly language and something flows out of you and it's a power. And the Bible says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside and it flows out of you and gives you power to serve God. If you've never tried it, I encourage you to try it. Oh, I know, Brother Don, that's said to be old-fashioned. We don't do those things anymore. That's the reason we live the way we live. That's the reason we act the way we act because he don't flow through us enough. Well, it's important that we get to that that eighth chapter of the book of Romans where it talks about being filled with the spirit. God gives you power to live right, walk right and spit white. Yeah? Live like you ought to live. I'm not talking about being... You know, people said, oh, you think you're holier than, I'm not saying that at all. But for the grace of God and the power of God, we'd be just like the world. But God's grace gives us strength and power. Daniel was a great influence for God in a foreign land for 65 years. And I'm in it. Daniel was used of God to convert Nebuchadnezzar. Old Neb was a mean man. He was a mean man. He was the greatest ruler at that time in the world. And he was so filled with pride He was narcissism going to seed. He thought nothing like him. And he had a dream one night and he forgot his dream and he wanted somebody not only to tell him what the dream was, but to interpret the dream. He dreamed of a stump, a stump or tree that was cut down to a stump. And so here comes Daniel. And Daniel says, oh, Neb. He didn't say it that way because he honored him. Here's your dream. And can I paraphrase it if it's okay with you? You're going to be cut down to size. You ain't going to be nothing but a stump. And for seven years, you're going to be out in the field. You're going to eat grass like an ox. Your hair's going to grow long and your fingernails are going to grow long and your skin's going to be scaly and you're going to be demented. You're not even going to know anything but that you're no more than an animal. And it happened. He was out in the field eating grass like an animal. 
And after seven years, God restored his mind. After seven years, he was restored back to his kingdom. And he stood up. And he said, there's no God like Daniel's God. There's no God like Daniel's God. And I want everybody in the kingdom to serve Daniel's God. And if you and I will dare to be strong, we'll not succumb to the culture of compromise. If we'll stand up and stand for the truth of God, they may not today or tomorrow, but they'll come and respect you and honor you. Before I started pastoring this church, I worked at Colonial Store. Most of you have never heard of that. Well, if you've not heard of that, maybe you've heard of this one, Big Star. If you've not heard of that, I'll just tell you what it's like. It's like a Kroger. All of us have heard of Kroger or Food Line. I worked at a grocery store. Made pretty good money. Supported my family on it. That was 50 years ago. 50 years ago. I would go in early. And when I say early, I mean sometimes at 12 o'clock at night. Stock the shelves and do those things. There was a man about my age, young man my age. He and I worked together. He was an sort of a ill, hateful type guy. And he didn't like my God. Therefore, he didn't like me. Now, we were friends on certain levels. But when it come to all of that, it, it just didn't match. And he, he couldn't understand. I never abused my testimony, but I did testify at times. And there were times when he became very angry at me. One early one morning, he got so angry at me, he said, I'll take you to the stock room and mop up the floor with you. Believe me, he could have done it. But I loved him. And I showed him love. And I never compromised. I left the grocery store and started evangelizing briefly and then I started pastoring. Years later, this man's wife looked me up and said, Norman, his name was Norman. Norman wants to see you. Would you come to our house? They live way out in the country. And I walked in that house and here was a man lying on the bed dying with cancer. And he looked up at me and he said, Don, I want you to do something for me. I said, Norman, I'll do anything I can. He said, I want you to preach my funeral. And his wife told me later all he can think about and talk about is you. He had surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, given his heart to the Lord. He had several children, but he died and left those children and a precious wife. But I got to preach his funeral. Preach the funeral of a man that had surrendered his life to Jesus because someone dared not compromise. No matter how angry, no matter how vile he got, I always loved him and I always showed him love. Years later, after I preached his funeral, I was in the fellowship hall. It's when we met in the fellowship hall and I was doing some things in the fellowship hall and all of a sudden, there was a young man that came in the door and he walked up to me and he said, you don't know me. He said, but I'm Norman Canada's son. And I wanted to thank you all that you did for my dad 
And I forget what state this young man lived in. But God had called him to preach the gospel. Don't don't you dare give in. I don't care if, if the majority is against you. I don't care what they say about you. They may curse you, malign you, isolate you, laugh at you. Let's be a Daniel. Let's stop being a lot and pitching our tent towards Sodom. Let's be a Daniel. No matter the price, no matter what, I'm going to trust God. And I'm not going to compromise my life. I'm not going to compromise God's will for me. I'm not going to compromise, listen, the word of God. I'm not going to compromise. I want this church to take a stand for the year of 2016 and look look the devil right in the face. Every opportunity that knocks at your door For you to compromise, to give in, I want you to say, I'm not going to do it. Open the eighth chapter of the book of Romans and read it over and over. You know, it wouldn't hurt you to read that almost every day of the year or at least once a week or once a month. The eighth chapter of the book of Romans. That will give you more strength because so often we struggle, but God wants to give you strength. I've been held too long. Father, we love you today. God, I thank you for the example of Daniel. I thank you for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I thank you for a man like Joseph. He had every opportunity in the world to compromise, but he didn't. I thank you for the men and the women. Lord, if... If a lady ever had an opportunity to compromise, it was Esther, even Ruth. And I thank you for all of these men and women that you've given to us to follow in their footsteps, to use them as as just a beautiful example to encourage us when it comes to compromising and help us to realize we can be successful even in a culture that compromises. In Jesus' name.